Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to Fanti, the podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I am the bitch that can make Cheesecake Factory mashed potatoes at home from scratch because I'm a bad bitch who likes some basic bitch shit, Jarrett Hill. But if you were gonna make mashed potatoes, Never mind. Never mind. I'm Trayvale Anderson. Okay. Welcome back, y'all. All right. Coming up on the show, we are going to be talking. I gave you a tease last week unintentionally. Oh. We're going to be talking about learning in public. Okay. And how hard it is, y'all. Um, but first, I have a tough question. Now, a tough question is, you know, these are questions that we come up with through the course of our lives, and they're exactly what they sound like, questions that are hard for some to answer. And the question I'd like to pose and offer up today, Jared Hill, is, is there ever a right time to say goodbye? Sorry. Um, is there ever a right time to call the popo? Oh, the devil is busy. To call the police. Story time to give you some context, okay? So I was recently out and about dipping it and doing it, living my black queer best life with some friends, some friends of the show, actually. And we were going to a restaurant in the middle of West Hollywood. And as we pulled up to the restaurant in West Hollywood, we see... This young lady okay. hanging out of a car window, okay? And by hanging out, I mean her feet are inside the car and her her butt is on the windowsill and the rest of her body is outside of the window. And at first it looks like she's just like, you know, sitting on her windowsill. We all done sat on our windowsill before, right? Maybe not. Um, it looks like she's just sitting on her windowsill. And then we start to realize, oh, there's a tussle of some sort happening. Okay? there's, And we realize that there's somebody in the driver's seat of the car. Okay. Right? And her feet are is inside the driver's seat window. Okay? She starts yelling about the person, in, apparently in the driver's seat, stealing her car. Okay? But it's not a, my life is in danger type of yell. You know? It's a... I want to bring some attention to this situation type of yeah. Like, I want people to look, but, like, I'm not dying type of, you know, situation. Go ahead. Can you give me, like, a distinction? Like, what does that sound like? Help! Now, that is major distress. That's 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 get me help soon. Like, right now. Okay. Right? Okay. And then the I need to bring attention to this situation is like, oh, my God. Help! He's trying to steal my car. Oh, okay. Okay. I get it now. You see the difference? Yes. Thank you for the demonstration. Okay. Great. Okay. And so we get out the car and we we watching this, you know, go down. And, you know, important note, this is, uh, these are not black folks. None of the people involved are black? None of the black people are involved are African Americans or African descendants. Okay. Okay. Um, from what we can tell, from what we can right. tell, because right. what? Right. Uh-huh. I let y'all <laughs> fill in the blank. Um, okay. <laughs> so we call out, you know, we like everything all right, sugar. You know, just to let her know, we see you. We 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 know that you are, you know, you want some attention here. Okay. Now at this time, we did not really know that there was somebody in the driver's seat, and then the car started slowly pulling away. 
um, oh. not in a life endangering type of way. This isn't Fast Too Furious, you know, just like a, you know, somebody ease their foot off of the brake. Okay, and so now that's when we're like, okay, something going on. Like this, this ain't this ain't cute. This ain't cute. Okay, now by this time, other patrons in the restaurant, you know, are peering into the street. Okay, and they watch it. And then the restaurant staff, they peering into the street and they watch it. Right. And so thankfully, other people can, you know, shoulder the responsibility because it becomes clear and everybody kind of collectively decides generally that like, oh, somebody should call somebody. Mm, okay. like somebody should call an authority of some sort. But us as the black folks, you know, we were like, well, and like, you know, but there were other people there, right, who who could call. And so long story short. Oh, the, this is the short version. Shut oh. up. Shut up. <laughs> the wait staff ends up calling the police, okay? And the police end up showing up and, you know, it is what it is, right? But it got me thinking how in this day and age, a whole lot of black folks ain't trying to deal with the police at all, right? We've seen so many examples of you know, us calling the police and becoming the victim, right? Or us, you know... The suspect and then the victim, yeah. Right. And then us just, like, you know, living and walking down the street or in our living rooms or, you know, we're at, at our churches or whatever and then end up having, you know, negative interactions with the police. And so none of us were trying to call the police. but And we had plenty of reason to not want to call the police, but like the police is supposed to, is who you're supposed to be calling in society, right? Especially in situations like what I have just detailed, right? And so I wanted to bring it here. Is there ever a right time to call the police for you? It's interesting to me because I actually had a very similar situation happen that was not nearly as long or in depth. But like I, <laughs> I was in bed. And I could hear, like, running down the hallway of my building. Oh, my God. And, like, someone, I could hear, like, boom, 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 boom. But, like, at first, I thought it was, like, just, like, a loud sound happening outside. Mm -hmm. And then I heard it again, and I realized, like, I think that's steps. And then I heard, like, footsteps running outside. Like, I heard a door open, and, like, mm -hmm. and I heard scream and, like, scream. And it was, like, wait a minute. Something's happening, right? So then I like, I'm like, okay, but wait, what kind of scream? I'm so glad you asked. Mm -hmm. I got you, friend. So it was not like, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> somebody's bothering me. <laughs> Get the authorities. This was, right, it was like real screaming and I could hear running and like, and so I like, I thought like, what am I supposed to do? So I like, I jumped up and I was like, oh, if I go that side, I'm not gonna see, I go to this side. And I'm like, I look out the window and I can see a black BMW with like a person on the hood of it driving down toward <laughs> our exit. And I'm like, wait, what is happening? You know what I mean? But then like, I hear her like, kind of like laugh scream and then like i see them stop but then i can't see the car anymore and i think to myself like is she in trouble is she not like mm. then i see her like standing out further than i can really see very well and so i was just like 
Let me take note of what happened for myself. This happened, then this happened. I heard this, I heard that. So you didn't call the police. But I didn't call the police because the car was then gone. I was like, I wouldn't even know what to tell them if they did come here. And I don't want to have to interact with no fucking police officer about this bullshit. Like, there was no reasonable outcome that was going to come from that for me calling the police. And I think in the same situation, like, them white people called the police, great. But, like, if she was, like, playing in that situation, I don't know what to do. Hmm. So you're not calling the police at all at no time, not never? I I won't say not never, but not in these two scenarios. Okay. I mean, well, definitely not in these two scenarios. But I'm also like, I don't, listen, this is, this is hard. Well, like, I I keep thinking about how (laughs) if something were to happen, right, and go left, and the police did something crazy, I can hear black folks everywhere, like, that's what your stupid ass gets for calling the police. (laughs) Now, you knew good and damn well not to call these motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Like, you can hear that conversation already. But on the flip side, on the flip side, you don't call the police. And the next thing you find out, you got another OJ situation on your hand. And you didn't call the police. 1,000%. 1,000%. But also, like, I don't want to be on the stand in an OJ trial? Absolutely not. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Fanti is getting into learning in public. What does that even mean? That's next. So y'all know it's about time for you to buy a gift for somebody, okay? Mother's Day just passed, but Father's Day is coming up, so they say. Maybe there's a birthday. Maybe there's a wedding gift that you can get. This is where Brooklinen comes in, okay? Brooklinen makes award-winning bedding that is perfect for every occasion, okay? Whether moving or celebrating your favorite newlyweds or, or treating yourself. Let Brooklyn and Sheets be the gift that keeps on giving every day and all night. Mm-hmm. I love my Brooklyn and Sheets. I'll just say that really quickly. Like, you know, when, when it's time to wash my sheets, okay, I wash them immediately so that I can put the Brooklyn and back on as opposed to going with, you know, my cheaper alternatives that are also in the closet. So, um, you didn't know I was going to say this, but, like, I literally just took my my laundry out of the dryer right before we got into recording, and I'm like, let me get these sheets back on the bed as quick as I can because I am ready for my my sheets. Okay. Uh, What are you waiting for, though? Shop in-store or online at brooklinen.com to gift yourself or your loved ones the rest they deserve. You know I believe in rest. For a limited time, go to brooklinen.com to get $20 off plus free shipping on orders of over $100 with code FANTI. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N-D-O-T-C-O-M. Code FANTI for $20 off plus free shipping. Welcome back to The Fanti. On last week's show, uh, we talked about the man, the myth. Not Fanti. The... <laughs> Every time someone says fancy to me or they're like, oh, he has the podcast fancy. It always makes me laugh. And I'm like, and, and, and every time they do that. Uh, you called it fancy when we first named it this. Yes, I did. But also every time they do that, I'm like, oh, so you don't listen. So you don't listen. I know immediately that they don't listen. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Cool, 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 cool. There's ways to know because people will reference things and be like, oh, really? What is the book called? I'm like, you ain't listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, welcome back to Fantai. On last week's show, we talked about the man, the myth, the insert your favorite expletive. 
Don Lemon. In that conversation, we talked about the ways that we've seen people evolve over time with their perspectives developing, growing, or shrinking. While Travell was sharing how much they love Don Lemon and his critical contributions to black culture, Travell offered this bit of analysis. Well, hold on now. On their, oh, is, that, is that not what, I want to make sure I get the, the facts straight. They can go listen to the episode. Or, or, or get the facts queer. Let's call it that. Um, there is a, a moment in Travell's analysis that I thought was really, really interesting. And I said, like, I think we need to do a show on that. And, well, here we are. Take a listen. It is not easy being on the camera, on a microphone, and having to articulate something, right? To Whether that's interviewing, whether that's, I don't know if Don had a, you know, Jerry's thoughts at the end of every episode or something like that. But so many of the folks with those types of shows had like, you know, the monologue section at the end or whatever. But that there is a lot of pressure there. And learning in public, baby, is difficult. It is hard. Hard with an O. The way you said learning in public, baby, it's difficult. Mm. It's hard. Mm. Hard with an O, y'all. Last year, one of our more popular episodes was with friend of the show, Ryan Mitchell, discussing being, quote, Black, queer, invisible. The episode was titled Black, Queer, Invisible, featuring Ryan Mitchell. And in preparing for this episode, it got me thinking about how this conversation is adjacent, but very different. We've seen various people learn in public and much to the chagrin of the viewing public oftentimes. I think about this often with young women who are celebrities because almost every time they grow out of being children into being grown women, there's some conversation around how they're not supposed to do something. And we always hear them having to be clear with people that they're human beings. I think about Marseille Martin, for instance, right now. And like, I'm growing up in front of you and I'm learning in front of you and I'm trying things in front of you and I'm going to get things right or wrong in front of you. Angie Martinez recently had an interview with Janelle Monet, which, by the way, fantastic interview. I highly recommend. Janelle talks about how the evolution of her sexuality has happened in front of people. And they ask her, well, why didn't you tell us this? And why didn't you say that? And she's like, I'm learning in front of y'all, right? Like, I'm finding these things out about myself in front of y'all and and those kinds of things. So it made me want to have more conversation after you said that last week, because I think that we've done a lot of learning in public just on this show alone about ourselves, about community, about the way that we think about things. And I was curious about a time where you learned in public. What what made it so horrid with a O? Well, I think, well, so first of all, I think, as I said in in last week's episode, I do think... Those of us who are public, notable, visible people and who care (laughs) about the communities that we represent, who care about the information that we pass on and who take our platforms serious in the ways that we take our platforms serious, you know, there is always... It's, there's always learning in public, right? Because we try to create this like ecosystem in which folks can, you know, call us to the carpet if they need to call us to the carpet if we said something, right? On this very show, right, we have been called fat phobic. We have been called ableist. We have been called child abuse apologists. Now that one, now that one, you know, asterisk. But that one did kind of piss me off. Yeah. <laughs> 
Y'all gotta go listen back to those episodes to figure out what we mean by that. Anyway. That, that episode is called Whoopins or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. But, or it's the episode after Whoopins. You, you know. Anyway. 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 Okay. Mm. And so, right, those are instances in which, uh, minus that one I put an asterisk on, in which, like, we said something, did something that was problematic that perhaps we did not know or were not conscious uh, enough of in the moment, uh, or, or maybe we were, right? And we did it intentionally, right? But like learning how to, learning how to learn in front of other people, right? Modeling the, the, what should be most people's or many people's response to being called out, called in, provided more information and context from which we make a different decision from there on out, right? It, it can be, it can be difficult, right? And I say that because you have some people who will attempt to do that lovingly and just share the information and let you go from that. And then you get the other people who won't want to, you know, lambast you. Because, you know, you said something that you weren't necessarily, you know, thinking about, right? And so there's always this navigation of potential consequence, right, that I think makes the particular type of learning in public that we do, that any leader sometimes does, makes it very difficult because so many other people... Actually, I feel like I'm going too far into the fan. Go ahead. What's your example? No, get your life. Go ahead. So many other people. You you were right there. <laughs> I was just saying, so many other people have a luxury, a privilege of learning in private, right? Mm. In learning off of our example, mm. right? And sometimes we end up having to learn off our own example and that navigating that process that push and pull while everybody's looking at you you know i think can be the people who are listening to the podcast you can't see me tapping my head because i don't know the actual word but that's what it was like is she trying to scratch the scalp or making a point <laughs> <laughs> you know i just think it, it can it can do something to the mental right when you when you don't have the ability to to consume in new information process it and then you know act mm -hmm. when whereas what we have to do right sometimes is do all of that at once while also having an audience <laughs> and being live <laughs> yeah sometimes yeah i actually think about this i i was trying to figure out how i wanted to talk about learning in public and like i think oftentimes we think about learning in public as like fucking up and getting corrected in public Right. But also, like, there are more ways to learn in public than that. Absolutely. Right. And I know for myself, like, with my experience of depression and talking about that publicly and coming out about uh, being HIV positive, it's been interesting to me to learn about depression in public because anytime I like talk about depression, especially on social media, not so much on the show, but when I talk about depression, I always get like an overwhelming amount of outreach from people that then is like overwhelming in its own way, which makes me then not want to talk about it sometimes. And I've had to learn how to like discuss these things. I've had to, to figure out how to engage my own feelings about these situations and how to be able to to share about them what's happening on your face i'm 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 learning in public <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm learning before I come around. That has been something that has been really challenging for me, though, because I, I recently did a post about uh, depression and like the way I experience sadness and like my own avoidance of sadness. But like having gone through it and experienced it and then talking about it and then getting so much feedback from people. It also like it, it's been a, a weird loop of things to try to figure out how to talk about in public, but to also like protect myself and be safe and give myself what I need when I'm sharing information about different things I'm experiencing. Mm. That's been something that's been uh, its own unique challenge of, of kind of like learning how to do that in public. Mm. What's happening? I am just, uh, we obviously uh, are seeing and thinking of, you know, the concept of learning in public differently, right? Like what you just articulated Well, to, go ahead. Well, I think like there are plenty of times when like I've, messed up i think like when we the earlier times of you and i working together with gender right and like misgendering you and and making sure to correct myself in front of an audience right or or having to like have these conversations on the show where we're like learning different things about even each other in public right and i think it's been a it's been an interesting journey right but what i'm saying what i'm saying is what, what you what you just articulated about the type of learning that is you know, speaking about something, getting not negative, right, feedback from an audience, and then you mm. having to, you know, pick and choose how you tweak your behavior in response to it, whether that is, you know, changing the language you use, whether that is picking and choosing what you choose to share publicly and what you don't choose to share publicly. To me, that type of learning is... That feels that the, the the stakes. Let me put it this way: the stakes for that type of learning feel very different than the the stakes. Um, whether that's like you know uh, public stakes or like the the private personal stakes feel different than the than the I am being corrected right in public mm -hmm. and having to do the necessary work to just to just navigate it. But as we get into Zifantai of all of this. The complex and complicado of it. I've been thinking about this in a lot of different ways. <laughs> so I, I, part, one of the things that I actually think is, is great about learning in public, and this, this is kind of more fan um, than it is complicado, is that like, it can be rewarding and validating to hear from others who are experiencing similar things or who are learning along with us right with me with you with whomever um there can be some some great reward in being able to hear the feedback from people like oh that really helped me or oh i didn't know that either or oh i've said the same thing or oh i had to think about this in a different kind of way there's some great like reward and validation in that even if it came at the expense of like doing something wrong saying something wrong getting scolded right but it can that can be one of the things that makes it feel worth it sometimes for me I mean, I think that there is a that that benefit of just like knowing better is like there. Like, and again, I'm specifically talking about in moments of correction, right? Mm. And so like the the benefit is that like, oh, now I know that this behavior that I was exhibiting or this thing that I said, right, is fatphobic or is ableist or is anti-black 
right? Well, I think we I think we see this a lot on this show and our listener feedback, right? When we've had so many instances where people have emailed us and told us that we've that that something that we said was either offensive or um, you know, offended a neurodivergent community or, you know, was fatphobic. The fatphobic reference that we made earlier was interesting to me because like I I was I had a lot of resistance to that. And I I mean I still like kind of argue with myself a little bit about like whether or not I'm making well, I, I did still argue with myself for a while about whether or not me making comments about my own body was fatphobic. Right. And I kept going back and forth and I was like, oh, yeah, no, like fat phobia can be turned internally. Right. Or anti-blackness can be turned internally. The ways that we like judge other people can be turned against ourselves and oftentimes are turned against ourselves more than we turn them against others sometimes. And so like learning that was something challenging and frustrating, but also like it was something that I, I I got something out of and had to think differently about my own body and how I talk about myself because of the feedback that we got from that. Have you ever, in 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 you saying that just made me think of like an instance in which there was some sort of correction that happened that you disagreed with? Like I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of, so earlier in the life of this show and earlier in the life of who I am, right? I used to, I used to, uh, uh, interpolate if you will various uh words of the spanish language into you know my speech not you laughing and and somebody did a twitter thread to me uh and the show you don't you don't remember this jerry i remember parts of it but i don't remember other details somebody did a twitter thread in which they basically said that i was making fun of of their language Right. And like how it was, you know, offensive. Now, you know, in my eyes, you know, it's an equal opportunity offender with the language over here. But I mean, I no longer do it in part because of that feedback, but also just because, you know, my my linguistic prowess has has expanded um, into other areas. But that was something that I was like, oh, like, you know, it's being received. This is something that's being received this way. It's hitting this particular way for this person. I disagree, not only because of, you know, my intention not being that, but also because I just don't think that that's what was happening. Um, But still, nonetheless, making the decision to, you know, acknowledge that, like, whether I disagree or not, that, like, you doing something that that could be perceived as as like problematic or offensive and like making the choice to like, you know, tweak that particular behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you feel a a level of pressure to get these things right or to as a representative of community? Because I feel like I mm. and as a journalist, right? I feel like sometimes the the challenge for me is feeling like there's an expectation that we're going to say the right thing or do the right thing a certain kind of way because we're journalists or because of the the roles that we have in leadership. And I think that oftentimes it's important to like to to take that pressure off of ourselves, right? To like to recognize like we're the first this is the first time we're doing this. So this is a brand new environment. This isn't these are brand new situations sometimes for us. Do you feel that pressure as well? No. No. I don't feel a pressure to get it right i would love to get it right i want to get it right i strive 
and I intend to get it right, at least based on the information that I have at that particular time. Um, my goal, though, is to always, I think if you're always striving to get it right, whether or not you actually get it right um, matters less because once corrected, you will continue now with this new information to strive to get it right. You see what I'm saying? No. So like the 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 pressure for <laughs> But like, you know, like I I don't put pressure on myself. I try not to put pressure on myself to get it right because I don't I think oftentimes for those of us who do this type of work, right, and who are visible, we it it's often feels like we talk to people as if we know everything, as if we're always going to be right, as if we are mm. the expert. And the reality is we may know some things, but we don't know everything, right? And so how I talk, how I do my work, how I move through the world is an attempt to always say, you know, I'm talking and saying things based on my lived experience, but I don't know everything. I want to be very even level with the people that I'm like working with, working for, um, um, uplifting and supporting because I don't know it all. And I do think that we should always be in this like ecosystem in which we are, we are, are learning from each other. But oftentimes the folks who are sitting on the fucking panel, right, are talking to the people in the audience Right. As if they got it all figured out. Come on. And I think it's in those instances where people, in my experience, struggle even more with the task of learning in public because they think they they got to know it all. And for me, it's like I ain't trying to know it all. I'm just going to tell you what I know. And if you know something different, let me know what you know. And now I can move forward knowing what you know as well. I, I find this to be interesting because for myself, I, I feel it the most in teaching, not in like this, in, in like media and like doing a show. I feel it now because like as a, as, as a person in a job now that is very new for me, I've been a teacher for, I've taught two semesters, right? I'm very new. But I also like deal with my own imposter syndrome shit about it because it's something I never even dreamed about doing for myself. And so I know when I'm at work, when I'm when I'm working on things for my students, when I'm working on my class, like there is a a level of pressure of even like that it is learning in public in front of a class, right? But like it is not necessarily on the same scale as what we're doing on the show all the time. But like I feel it in the ways that I'm doing it in front of my classroom, in front of in front of my colleagues, in front of the university. And like that is something that I find myself feeling like a pressure to like make sure that I'm I'm doing this the right way, that I'm showing up in the right ways. But then I'm also really clear with my students. Like, I don't know everything. And y'all are always giving me an answer that is not the answer I was looking for, but that is not that is also not wrong, right? And so, like, I'm always learning in class in that kind of way. But there's a bit of anxiety for me with it sometimes because I'm like, the students sometimes can be really far ahead of where we are with the things that, the ways that we've been teaching things. For example, we, we were having a conversation around resumes and, like, over the last year we've seen AI excuse me in the last six months even we've seen AI um, begin to have um, such an impact on the ways that people are engaging their writing and for me as a teacher I'm like what am I supposed to say to, to my students about that what am I supposed to say to our organization about that when we have members that are that are going to be coming up against AI and like having to learn about AI and the ways in which that it is writing articles and publishing all kinds of different things I'm like 
we're all going to be learning in public about this kind of situation and the ways that we are supposed to talk about it, the way we're supposed to respond to it as uh, as an industry, the ways that my students should be being prepared for it as they're going out into the world. And I'm like, I, I feel that kind of pressure of like having to figure out what the right answers are for us in these moments. Hmm. I understand that the the, hmm. the academic piece, like being a teacher and feeling that pressure, right? But I, I just personally find a whole lot of power and relationship in somebody being like, I don't know. Let's figure it out together, you know? Indeed. And I think, you know, there are some people who will say, oh, that's not like great leadership. Like you need to like, you know, direct the thing. But like, if I don't, if I don't know, I don't know. You know, and 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 I think we have to get to 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 that place a lot more when it comes to this conversation about learning in public. And again, I'm specifically talking about like in 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 those moments of of correction, in those moments of challenge and introduction of new information that you may not have considered, like you were talking about with your students saying something that you know, you might not have heard of or be aware of or whatever. And I think we have to just like disavow ourselves of that particular pressure, particularly for the type of work that we do, because you'll end up being in this like vicious cycle, right? Of of never really owning what you do know, because you're so worried about what you don't know and how that might impact or be received by whomstever. This owning what you do know piece is a whole other show. Um that's actually something I've been working on a lot with. God has been working on him a lot about that. Um, we can talk about that a different day. We want to know what, what? Nothing. I think we hit on it. You're about to say something else. I saw there was a lot of red tongue there. So I, I had to appreciate that you're about to say something. I mean, now like we heard. Not we heard. Cut it out. It wasn't that loud. Listen, we see each other. Available wherever you get your slay worthy audio. <laughs> it wasn't giving Dr. Joy DeGruy. Um, uh, We want to hear what y'all think about learning in public or times that you've learned in public. Hit us up on social media using the hashtag FantiFam. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at FantiPodcast. Coming up, why y'all hate us so much in listener feedback and our dishonorable mentions. We'll be right back. I'm glad you said that because nobody says that. Can I just say thank you to you for such a thoughtful interview? Oh my God, yeah, I think you nailed it. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. Listen to the Bullseye podcast only from NPR and Maximum Fun. Hey, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Listen, you like podcasts, right? Sure you do. Don't try and lie to me. You're listening to one right now, so why not try a different one? called R1, The Flophouse. Uh-huh, and on The Flophouse, we watch a movie and talk about it. And then sometimes we also do other stuff. It's all meant to be funny and fun, and we think you'll have a good time. And just to be clear, the name of the podcast is not Our One, The Flophouse. It's just called The Flophouse. <laughs> I do a lot of correcting Dan. The Flophouse, a lot of correcting Dan. Welcome back, beautiful people. Now we're going to get into our listener feedback segment. This is your opportunity to tell us all the wondrous things that you would like to tell us. And we have an email here from Kay. This is in response to our Pacifica Pride episode. Hi, Trayvell and Jarrett. I've started listening in the last year, and I really appreciate your podcast. I especially appreciated the Pacifica Pride episode with Christian Fanene Schmidt. I'm happy. I thought that was going to say I'm happy. 
but I'm hopper and non-binary and feel like there's not a lot of attention on the intersection of these communities. Also, my daughter, who is trans and hopper and loves trains, so I'm excited to let her know about the Transcontinental Railroad connection to May as Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. In general, I love listening, learning, laughing, and smiling with your show. Thank you, Kay. Last week... The word was Hakka, H-A-K-K-A, in our Black History is Happening Every Day, just for the definition's sake. Hapa, H-A-P-A, is a person who is partially of Asian or Pacific Islander descent. Some academics theorize that by the turn of the century, Asian America would be comprised mostly of Hapas, according to the dictionary situation here on on the Google. Um, Thanks so much for your email, Kay. We appreciate it. Um, We've uh, had some really cool feedback to the episode with Chris, so... Um, thank you for that. As now, it is time for us to get into our dishonorable mentions. These are stories or people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or for their stupid. Travel, you want to start? Um, sure. I just have one honorable mention. This past Monday, uh, obviously, y'all know we record on Tuesdays and the episode comes out on Thursdays. But on the Monday that just passed, I had the opportunity to be in Washington, D.C., for the uh, trans prom, which was a demonstration organized by um, a group of four young people, teens and preteens. And it was a, a prom outside of the Capitol. There was dancing, there were speeches, there was, you know, photo booths. And then we marched from that side of the Capitol to the steps of the Supreme Court, um, did a little chanting there. Um, It was a wonderful experience to be a part of, to support these young trans folks, um, especially during this time in which we are going through this legislative assault that is targeting in particular trans women and girls and other trans youth. Um, And so that was wonderful. If you are interested in hearing more about what that was like, you can check out Tuesday's episode of What a Day. Tuesday, May 23rd's episode of What a Day, in which I, you know, I had my little microphone, this very microphone right here, um, and my Zoom recorder, you know, taking it back to grad school, interviewing people, you know, on the sidewalk and whatnot. I said, my God, today, this is why I left those days far behind, but it was a lot of fun um, and super honored to uh, be able to be there. Shout out to those four young people. Um, as well as Chase Strangio at the ACLU, who, you know, helped them organize and make it all happen. That's it for me. Nice. I want to give a shout out to RuPaul Andre Charles, um, who we have. We've actually done a full episode on RuPaul. But if you haven't seen it, Ru is on the latest edition of Architectural Digest's Open Door. And baby, that house is just, if if you're into Open Door on Architectural Digest, Check out RuPaul's um, new episode. It is amazing. What? I was just about to say, if you think if you think the Beverly Hills or the West High, whatever house that is, is great, I just imagine the one that's in Montana or wherever, that wherever the 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 activity is taking place, reportedly. Uh, I just wonder, I could, you know. I could just feel a fracking comment coming. I just knew <laughs> that that was like nearby. No, but it was, it is a gorgeous home. Oh it is a gorgeous God. home. It is just, it is 
Whew. Um, yes. Okay. I also want to give a mention to the writer strike. I've been trying to figure out how I feel about this and how to talk about it. But like something that's been irking me about the writer strike lately is that we see SAG-AFTRA, my guild going and the director's guild um, going up into their negotiations. And like, I don't hear enough conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the demands that are being made of the studios and of the networks. And I would just like to see us having a little bit more conversation about that because it seems like the reckoning's over, right? Like we see black executives and black um, creatives losing their deals and getting fired and getting laid off. Um, black and brown and other marginalized folks, right, that have been like kind of the last hired in, in more recent years. And we see those those jobs being eliminated. We see those deals going away and suspended. And so my concern is that whenever this deal is done, the studios have put themselves in the position to be able to say, oh, well, we have to, to suspend these deals. We have to get rid of these executives because of the strike. Oh, because of the strike. But like we're on the strike because of y'all, right? And so I'm concerned about the ways that we're going to see less black film and television coming out in the years to come. And I would bet if there is data that is tracking it, and I know that there is from UCLA, that we're going to see a decrease in some of those numbers. So I just would like to say to the folks that are out there fighting for this, I think it would be important that we pay attention to the ways that black and brown and disabled and diff differently abled and queer folks and all of the different people that are underneath the umbrella of marginalized communities, how they're being represented um, in, our, in those negotiations. And that's that. It's now time for Black History is Happening Every Day. We're doing something a little bit different in today's episode as we close out celebrating the culture and heritage of folks from AAPI descent. We highlight a real ally to the movement towards Black liberation, Grace Lee Boggs. An American author, feminist, and social activist of Chinese descent, Boggs had been working in politics since the 1940s and most notably alongside her husband, activist James Boggs, and was very active and crucial to the support of Black communities during the Civil Rights Movement. After decades of being regarded as a key figure in the Asian American and Black Power movement, Boggs was still active in the cause well into her 90s as she wrote her fifth and final book in 2011 called The Next American Revolution, Sustainable Activism for the 21st Century. Uh, she passed in 2015. Fun fact, we'll see how fun it is, Palmyra, because this is a fun fact that I know is coming from you. When the FBI was developing a case file on her because you know when you're an activist, there's a target on your back. <laughs> In the notes on her file, they referred to Grace as Afro-Chinese because of her strong support of the Black uh, movement and, I assume, because of her marriage to James Boggs. She laughs about it as she tells the story on PBS documentary um, called American Revolution, The Evolution of Grace Lee Boggs. Apparently, the FBI could not fathom someone being so caring about Black people and them not being Black. Surprise, surprise. Shout out to listener Marie Soledad for this recommendation. We appreciate you. You know, all love to, um, what's her name? Miss Grace Lee Boggs and uh, Marie Soledad. Get ready, y'all. But I turn over the Black History moment to y'all for a couple weeks, and now y'all done gave it to somebody not no kind of Black. Now, how we do this now yeah she fought for the people shout out to the allies i guess we need y'all too but how we get there travel 
you know that she pitched this to y'all two weeks ago and you said yes to it. So don't do me, bitch. I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> we appreciate y'all listening to the show. If you have not yet, Travel's new book, We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film, is in stores right now wherever you get your good audio or your bad audio. Or you can get the audio book as well. And also, make sure to check out the podcast, We See Each Other, the podcast, wherever you get the Slayworthy audio. We've got the link in the episode notes here, but make sure to check it out. We've got a brand new episode out right now. I'm on the Trace Lissette episode. I'm a big fan of Trace Lissette, um, and her episode is out. You can go check out that show. You can subscribe to the episodes um, hosted by Travel and Shar. If you are listening to us on the YouTube, if you're watching us on YouTube, we've got three seasons of shows um, to go check out plenty of previous content. Um, you can go to fantipodcast.com to learn more about that. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, you can hit us up on the social media, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram at fantipodcast. Use the hashtag fantifam or you can email us fanti at maximumfun.org. You really struggled through that, friend. Baby, my my chair is sinking. And so I was like trying to not. Well, oh my God. He's disappearing right before our eyes. Learning in public. Look at that. <laughs> if you'd like to become a financially contributing member of the Fanti fam, help us do this wonderful work that we do. You can do that by joining at MaximumFun.org slash join. And, you know, let me just do one little quick plug here. Uh, Laura Swisher and Palmira have been uh, cooking up uh, uh, some stuff for the Max Fund members um, as it relates to our Max Fund Drive goal of learning to swim, baby, uh, this summer. And listen, you won't, you won't be able to access, you know, the stuff. That Laura Swisher is cooking up, okay, if you are not a Max Fund member. So go ahead and do that. MaximumFund.org slash join. Y'all, let me just tell you before we finish these credits, Laura Swisher has put together a two-page document, okay? Okay. With five different subheadings of ideas okay. for this swimming situation. She's not playing games. You had to get them all that. Listen, she gave us all that. Laura is going in on this. And y'all know I don't even want to do this shit. So I'm I'm excited by her vision for this, but shout out to the producers. You done? I think so. I don't know. Our music, as always, is brought to you by the one and only Corey, C-O-R dot E-C-E, where you get Slayworthy and Grammy Award-winning music. Our graphics are by Ashley Wynn and the folks over at Moonhouse Creatives. Our editor is Anne-Marie Huber. Our producer is Palmiera Muniz. Ba-ba-ba! I did three because Burp Burp was blue. Never mind. Our singer producer is Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. This is such unbecoming behavior. Ha <laughs> ha!